0: That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain.
1: Left the subject of Vietnam anyway. We we're talking about forty four, forty five, but really things don't intensify in terms of major fighting for the U S. anyway until
2: later in the fifties. Yeah, right. That's right. And so basically, what you have you have a divided Vietnam as of nineteen fifty four. Yeah, you have the Democratic Republic of Vietnam in the north, which becomes really a brutal dictatorship. Uh. and on the American left, this often gets overlooked. Mm-hmm. Which is that yeah. the, the, the the communist state they create in North Vietnam really was nasty. It was a police state. It was a one-party state. They it's like North Korea now. Uh, maybe not that bad, but yeah. but bad. Okay. Um, you know, it was uh, with a lot of brutality. They had their own peasant uprisings, by the way, as they tried Ugh. to collectivize yeah. agriculture. They had these sort of denunciations of of uh, wealthy landowners, which often ended in their deaths. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not at all a place where you and I would like to live. But it is cohesive It's highly organized Right And it's run by Ho Chi Minh Yeah So he he, And he's a very very popular figure Among a lot of people Including non-communists Oh I see He's still In the eyes of your average Vietnamese person He still is the Leading embodiment Of Vietnamese nationalism He's the liberator And that's why for example In the Geneva Accords of 1954 They spelled out That within two years There would be nationwide Free elections To unify the country Uh huh Those elections never took place. Oh, okay. And that's because the new regime in Saigon, the capital of the new Republic of Vietnam, or South Vietnam as we would call it, didn't want those elections to be held. And that's because everyone knew that Ho Chi Minh would win those elections. Right. And in that uh, sort of stonewalling, the Saigon regime was backed by the United States. Right, okay, gotcha. Because remember, we're all about the Cold War. Yeah. We would love it if South Vietnam turned into a democracy. It didn't. Yeah, Under the initial, its initial leader, No Dinh Diem, who's in power between 55 and 1963 when he's assassinated. Right. He basically creates his own police state. It's non-communist. Ah. It's not, if it's freer than North Vietnam, it's not by much. He doesn't tolerate oh, dissent. Okay. There are no free elections. There's, they take over some of the French prisons and use them for political prisoners, yeah. where they torture and kill a lot of them. Um, is, it, is it capitalist in terms it's of the economy? And one of its problems is that, is that it largely keeps in place some of the sort of French colonial economic structures. In other words, for example, high concentration of land ownership in just a few hands. Uh-huh. It, it never really attempts serious land reform, which is one of its great weaknesses. Right? Mm-hmm. In other words, so your average South Vietnamese peasant feels no attachment to the regime. Holy cow. Keep in mind. Also, there's this a religious issue because the DM regime is—they're all Catholics. Yeah. And you had a Catholic minority in Vietnam, a Catholic minority in the South, certainly, which got bigger because a lot of Catholics fled the North. Not surprisingly, oh, after yeah, 1954, sure, sure. there was this yeah. period of where sort of open migration was allowed. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands of people, with U.S. help, left the North. We made a lot of propaganda hay out of it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But there were entire Catholic villages that just sort of lifted up roots and moved to the south. Wow. But still, that's only about 10% of the population in the South. That's DiEM's base. He's very popular among Catholics. Yeah. Not at all popular among the 85% of his people who are Buddhists. Oh, right, right This right. is going to become an issue later on. But basically, the United States now, this, this country is also entirely dependent on the United States for its survival in terms of economic and military aid. South Vietnam. Uh, South yeah. Vietnam is. And so fast forward to 1959, 1960, where Ho Chi Minh decides that the only way we're going to be able to reunify the country is by force. Oh, I see. And so you still had some remnants of the Viet Minh who remained behind in the South. Yeah. A lot of them went went north in 1954. A lot of them remained behind. And a lot of these are Southerners. They're right, native right. to the South, but they are okay. fought for the Viet Minh. They may be communists. They may be not, but they fought for the Viet Minh, and they, they, and they see this regime in the South as sort of artificial, yeah. backed by foreigners and not truly nationalist. Diem actually was a nationalist. Yeah. He had a lot of nationalist credibility, which historians have been paying attention to in recent years. He had lots of problems. His true nationalism was not one of them. Oh, right. He just wanted to reunify Vietnam under sort of non-communist Catholic rule, basically. Right, right. So you have these two competing visions. Anyway, so 1959, 1960, you have the new organization formed called the National Liberation Front. Yeah. Which is very much sort of uh, analogous to the Viet Minh. Right. You, notice, you don't see the word communist there. Yeah, It's open to everybody. It's dominated by communists. Oh, okay. They are hiding the fact that it's dominated by communists. But right. it is open to non-communists. And there are a lot of non-communist participant, participants. The NLF is going to be sort of insulted by South Vietnam and the Americans by calling it the Viet Cong.
1: Oh, okay. Which okay. means...
2: Vietnamese communist, or not, and I think it's even more pejorative than that. Like it means sort of Vietnamese communist uh, bad guy. But so n- Viet Cong, that becomes the shorthand used by Americans and by the South Vietnamese regime. Uh-huh. Technically, it's not accurate because not all the people fighting against the Saigon government as guerrillas or supporting those guerrillas were communists. They okay, weren't. Okay, so the the liberation
1: in National Liberation Front, means liberating
2: South Vietnam from, from control. Yeah, from what they see as this puppet state run gotcha. by Americans. Gotcha. And, and to reunify the country under Vietnamese uh, communist control. Okay. So open fighting open open fighting has started. And partly this is, this is partly you have to lay this at the feet of the DM government, which mm-hmm. is actually analogous to Tsarist Russia. In other words, if you don't allow legitimate above board opposition, yeah, the only way people can oppose you is by going underground and yeah. taking up arms. And they will. Yeah, and they will. And so, yeah, and they have, this, they have this existing model. In fact, some of the actual people who served in the Viet Minh, because it's not that big a time period, they're a little older. Maybe, maybe, maybe they lost a step, but they're still, <laughs> they're still able to fight for Vietnamese reunification against this corrupt government in Saigon. Oh. And so they start fighting. You see, and it's slow at first. You have a guerrilla warfare that starts around 1960. And here's where it gets complicated because from the get-go, it is both an international war and a civil war at the same time.
1: Oh, now this this fascinates me and puzzles me at the same time because it seems so difficult. What's the or, international part?
2: Well, the international part is you do have North Vietnam uh-huh. invading South Vietnam, yeah, not invading it quote unquote with ground troops at first, uh huh, but. Supplies, reinforcements, direction to the NLF inside South, South Vietnam comes from the north. Oh, okay, I gotcha. Including yeah. down what's what's going to be called the Ho Chi Minh Trail, ultimately. Yeah. And right. here's one sure. of geog- geography is important. This is not like Korea, even though a lot of Americans look at it like Korea because it's divided.
1: North. But also, it, yeah.
2: Vietnam is attached to a much bigger. Well, it's attached to the Asian landmass, whereas Korea is a peninsula. That's right. Yeah. So right. through the very rugged dense tropical rainforests of Laos and Cambodia, you can smuggle supplies down. If you're willing to violate the neutrality of those countries, which the North Vietnamese are, okay. Okay, you can keep that insurgency inside the South alive by funneling in supplies, men, there's reinforcements, sometimes uh, former Southerners that you are returning to the South, right. sometimes Northerners. Ultimately, it's going to be North Vietnamese regulars fighting this war, and, yeah, it, is, yeah. and there is, it is going to have an aspect of an international invasion like in Korea. Right, okay. So, th- there are these international aspects to it. North it's Vietnam- kind of coming
1: in through their left flank, so to speak. Pretty much. South Vietnamese left flank, right. Pretty much.
2: But also through other, but also by sea and other forms of infiltration. Oh, wow. And it's also international in that it's, inter- it's part of the larger Cold War whereas That's right. America That's and its right. allies That's are lining right. up behind South Vietnam and the Russians and the Chinese are lining up behind North Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. So there's always this, many layers to this. But it is also, and this is what gets lost in Washington, D.C., it's also a civil war. It right. is also right. Vietnamese against Vietnamese within the South for control of the South. Oh. In other words, I'll put it to you this way. Even if North Vietnam didn't exist and you had no aid or advisors or reinforcements or directions coming from the North... You would still have had an insurgency in the south. It would have oh, been a lot. Okay. It would have been a lot weaker. Yeah, but that is a regime because of its very nature was going to have violent opposition that it faces on the inside because it was so illegitimate, so corrupt, so yeah. dicta- so dictatorial.
1: Whereas we thin- tend to think of it as as the North invaded and that started right. the war. That's right. When in reality, it's right. much more complicated. Whereas, of
2: course, North Vietnam would say, "Oh no, it's entirely domestic." It's right, entirely right, right, Vietnamese right, right. against Vietnamese, and foreigners have nothing to do with it. And you know, oh, okay,
1: right, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you can see uh, all these propaganda. The yeah, reasoning behind exactly, those propaganda. and yeah. that
2: so that complication allows both sides to be selective with their portrayal of what the situation is really like. A lot of oh. Americans look p- portrayed. The American government certainly does. This is just like Korea. Yeah, it sounds exactly. You've got exactly a, you've got like a it. peace-loving democracy in the south that yeah. wants to be left alone, right? And it's being picked on. Uh, and it's a victim of North Vietnam, North Vietnamese aggression. That is partly true. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there were people, that Ken Burns talks about this, there were South Vietnamese who were sort of South Vietnamese nationalists. Sure. And who were, a, who, sure. Were, who were devoted to the regime. There were certainly anti-communists, a lot of them, and willing to fight for that. Yeah. But you also had a lot of educated, nationalist, patriotic Native Southerners who were absolutely appalled by the government they were living under and were fighting to undermine it for some really good reasons. Yeah, and if you wanted to do that, the way you did that is you joined the NLF. Yeah, Yeah. so
1: it's being pushed. You know, so pushed it's it.
2: super complicated and it's got many, many layers. And unfortunately, Americans, I'm pretty sure that in the early 1960s, in all of Washington D.C., you did not have a single official familiar with the Vietnamese language. Holy cow! Wow. Not one. You would think even the CIA would want people. You would think, yeah. You would think, huh. but uh, there's, and even if that weren't true, there's certainly plenty of ignorance about yeah. Vietnamese culture, Vietnamese history, the true nature of the political system, and, there. and
1: and because it looks from from a certain perspective, a certain
2: ignorant perspective, it looks a lot like Korea it's probably treated a lot right. like Korea. And remember, this is, the United States has now been been sunk in several years of sort of Cold War mindset. Yeah, yeah. Where where you don't recognize distinctions among communists. You can't yeah. be a communist and a nationalist. Yeah. The world is divided into the free world and the communist world. That's right, yeah. Right? There's if, a Berlin and, Wall. And by definition, people didn't question it. If by definition, if country X is part of the free world, they're free, they're democratic, they're mm-hmm, just like mm-hmm, us and they deserve mm-hmm. our support and you have people like vice president Lyndon Johnson who goes to Saigon in 1961 and publicly declares Nodin Diem to be the uh, Winston Churchill of Southeast Asia. Oh, well, which it's a little rich if you look at <laughs> what Diem was actually like and what kind of a regime he was the head no, of. No, that's right, yeah. And the, it was this famous um and I I'll, I'll, I'll clean up the language because I know we want we want to keep this PG-13 <laughs> or worse, but Johnson, after he made that that uh, that comment, was asked off the record by a reporter, like, I mean, come on, Mr. Vice President, you don't really believe that, do you? Yeah. And Johnson essentially said, "Look, he's the only boy we got out there." Yeah. Which is really telling and actually true. In other words, we had backed Diem as he systematically eliminated all of his domestic opposition, and so now we had no choice in South Vietnam. We had to rely sure, on him. Sure. He was the sole strongman. And so what is it, sink or swim with no din diem? That was the, that was the slogan, uh, the cynical slogan among American officials. And so we shovel more and more aid his way. Yeah. A lot of this aid which gets squandered or used against his own people. So basically in the late 50s into the early 60s, U.S. aid to the Saigon regime under Diem increases and increases and increases. And we send in our first military advisors. Okay, what, what year is that? The first military advisors, yeah, yeah. really, it's in the late 50s. I know that, for example, on the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C., the yeah. first names, the first American military personnel killed in Vietnam in 1959. Oh, wow. There was an OSS guy, by the way, killed in 1945 yeah. by mistake, actually, <laughs> killed, killed by the Minh by mistake yeah. in uh, September 1945, but he's uh, he's not on the wall. The first military advisor was 1959. Okay. At first, it's just a few dozen. Yeah, yeah. Not just right. not to not to uh, you know. No, yeah, I'm sorry. The uh, uh, of these right, things. I mean, and, and, and our our deepening involvement really is gradual.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha, Yeah,
2: and it's incremental, and and that's important because when you take a certain step, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Yes. It, Only looking back after you've taken several of those steps does it look like a big deal and seems almost inevitable. Right. Right. And remember, in 1961, we have a new president John F. Kennedy committed to fighting the Cold War around the world. Yep. Yep. He's big on the green berets. A lot of whom were sent to. Vietnam.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. I forget. His,
2: we talked about it in the JFK episode, but basically the U.S. commitment... He doesn't Americanize the war. He doesn't send in ground contra- combat troops, even though he gets a recommendation to do that. Oh. He declines to do that, but he does increase the U.S. commitment. Aid goes way up, both military and economic. The number, yeah. of, number of advisors goes from 1,000 to about 16,000. So we're increasing our commitment. He is assassinated, and he's replaced by, of course, Lyndon B. Johnson, and now this Vietnam is his problem. And he... Really doesn't want, like even more so than JK, JFK, doesn't want it uh, to happen on his watch. The South Vietnam falls to so the communists, even though it looks like it might. Oh, because okay. the Viet Cong has grown a lot in strength, it's much more powerful, con- uh, occupies basically huge swaths of territory within the South. Mm-hmm. The, the regime is really not capable of surviving against the Viet Cong itself. Right despite the fact that we basically give a green light to a coup to overthrow Diem. He's replaced by a series uh, of rather ineffective yeah. military dictatorships. And then in 1964, an election year, there is this Tonkin Gulf incident, covered very, very well by Ken Burns and his series, right? where basically there's this alleged attack against American naval warships in the Gulf of Tonkin off of North Vietnam. Mm-hmm. There were two attacks. One of them really happened. One didn't. Ah, yeah, and basically that is used as a pretext by the Johnson administration to get a congressional authorization for war when, if and when necessary. Real war. Real war. war. Right, an Americanized war, exactly. So this is the famous Tonkin Gulf incident where the Congress basically is, the, the resolution already existed, but the Congress basically agrees to give the president the authority to wage war in Vietnam if and when he sees fit.
1: If and when I've never heard before. Pretty much. Before. It's very
2: open-ended. And as, as okay. LBJ famously said, like, like grandma's nightshirt, it covered everything. Wow. yeah, Talk old. about a quote master. LBJ. LBJ is quite the quote generator. But in so
1: many ways, he could have said, well, it's not, we could have avoided a lot of this, but him saying, no, it's not right yet. You know, if it's if and when, right. I can keep Avoiding it. Well, and it
2: doesn't commit him to anything. It just just allows him to then Americanize the war later and say, any of you in Congress Uh, are unhappy with this? Uh, I have this little piece of paper in here, which, by the way, passed uh, unanimously in the House of Representatives 416 to 0. Wow. And 88 to 2 in the Senate. There isn't a Francis Perkins in the. the, uh, (laughs) Not not this time. (laughs) Not (laughs) this time. No, uh, you mean uh, Jeanette Rankin? Sorry, Jeanette Rankin. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Who, who famously thought that Yeah, yeah, yeah was that she trick. third time's not a charm. She was not around <laughs> for this one. And by the way, a lot of these uh, senators and r- representatives on both sides are going to come to regret this later on. Oh, uh, because at the time it seemed reasonable. Yeah, well, and after to, to Tonkin and there the way were some thinking. retaliatory airstrikes on North Vietnam after the, uh, the Tonkin Gulf resolution. And by the way, this was one of those incidents just surrounded in lies because uh, the Secretary oh, okay, of Defense publicly okay, announced that okay. basically our ships were doing nothing wrong. We were in international waters mining our own business. Those were all lies. Okay. We were supporting South Vietnamese uh, covert operations. It was sort of commando raids against the North Vietnamese uh, coastline. We yeah. were not in international waters. One of the attacks didn't even take place. It, yeah. So oh, in any wow. case, the way is now clear for a, an American nation of the war if and when LBJ wants to do it. He doesn't want to do it right away, partly because there's an election, and he is positioned as the peacenik against Barry Goldwater in 1964. True. And, and Barry, Barry Goldwater, who says we need to do, go all out to win in Vietnam, including using nuclear weapons. Yeah, so by, by, that's by that standard, LBJ is the peacenik. He is, he is. Yeah. And yet he can also protect his right flank by saying, look, I'm taking all these steps against these hostile, aggressive North Vietnamese forces by, yeah, yeah, by retaliating, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So he tries to have both ways, and he does. He gets reelected overwhelmingly. And then in 1965, however, early 1965, the war continues to go badly for uh-huh. South uh-huh. Vietnam. The more and more aggressive and more and more successful large attacks by the Viet Cong that kill more and more Americans, by the way. Yeah. These military uh, military advisors are killed in increasing numbers. And so in early 1965, LBJ decides to Americanize the war. One, by initiating what's called Operation Rolling Thunder, which is the bombing systematic bombing of North Vietnamese targets, which is going to go on for about eight years. Right and by introducing the first U.S. ground combat troops, the first U.S. Marines land at Da Nang in March of 1965. Okay. Token force at first, 180,000 troops by the end of the war, so a major, major deployment. Yeah, Thought to be necessary because the ARVN, the Army of the Republic of Vietnam, is not up to winning this war on its own.
1: Holy cow. So this, But this is 10 years after the U.S. First gets in exactly. the steps in to, pur- right. to support them,
2: and so then the question is why, and then we could do an entire episode on why the war is Americanized at this point. Yeah, I'm just going to yeah. rattle off the reasons real quick. Okay. One is that this is the this is the Cold War and containment is the U.S. policy. You right. stop communism wherever it is. Right. right. Communism right. is a monolith. You can't pick and choose. That's one reason. Yeah. There's a widespread belief, certainly with LBJ and his White House, in the so-called domino theory. Yeah, that if you let one country fall to communism, the next, next will fall like dominoes.
1: Especially in his mind, those
2: countries all jam together like exactly in, like like right. In it'll it'll Asia. spread to Laos and Cambodia and then Thailand and then Malay. and then. And he actually said at one point, like, and before you know it, they're in Honolulu, <laughs> which is a bit of a stretch yeah. geographically, yeah. <laughs> and it shows you how little thought has gone into this. But it was a very powerfully held set of beliefs. Credibility is an overwhelming reason. In other words, even if you don't think South Vietnam itself is very important, you have to remain retain your credibility in the Cold War with your, quote-unquote, important allies. Yeah, not to mention credibility within within Washington, D.C. That's circles. right. There's also the question of domestic credibility. But the idea is that we may all agree South Vietnam is not inherently important piece of real estate, but yeah. if we... The idea is that if you are, I use the nine the nine one one analogy. If you are, if you have established yourself as the Cold War nine one one, the oh, emergency number, you've got to answer it. You've got to answer it. You Every can't time. say uh, you can't say, oh, no, I, I'm looking at I'm looking at the caller ID, and I'm not going to answer that call. The if and when doesn't apply, right? Because then, if the chips are down, and say the Soviets crash across the Iron Curtain and invade West Germany, and our and our allies don't believe in the American guarantee, then what happens? Yeah. Now, of course, one of the many ironies here is that almost immediately, when we Americanize the war, the British and the French are telling us to get out. Yeah, sure, (laughs) sure. In other words, we don't even listen to the people who we are trying to impress. (laughs) Basically, you mean they advise us to get out? Right. Yeah, they advise us to get out. They They don't get out. Yeah, yeah, and and they're also looking at the big picture. Like this war, you're not going to be able to win, and you're basically flushing all of your superpower resources down this toilet labeled Vietnam, Uh, and that doesn't help any of us who are uh, on your side. uh, Yeah. So, and then there's also, as you alluded to, domestic politics. People like JFK, LBJ even more so, they grew up in the early Cold War politically. Yeah. They remember what happened to Truman when he, quote unquote, lost China to communism. Yeah. They don't yeah, want that happening. again. They're absolutely yeah. terrified for a good reason what the Republican Party would do if, they, if, if the Democrats say, look, this is not a war we can win. It's not worth fighting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and we forget we forget we think of JFK and then even LBJ was older as 1960s people, but really they're 1940s they're 1940s 50s people. Yeah, they
2: they both get uh, I mean LBJ earlier, LB, yeah. uh, JFK later, but they they're Democrats. They know how powerful anti-communism is as a domestic political tool. Yeah. They've yeah. seen it themselves many many times and yeah. they don't want to become become a victim of it. And then finally, just I will call it American arrogance. Um, it's not. Cl- in fact, there's also lots, lots of reason to believe that LBJ himself doesn't think the war can be won. The, mm. the Ken Burns series has a lot of his uh, phone conversations. Yeah, that are, but the tapes are available now. You can listen to them online. And a lot of them, they're they're, they're kind of hard to listen to because they're, they're he's agonizing over it. He, he's oh, not at right, all. Yeah. When I you know when I say Americans are arrogant. It's not like, he's, oh, we can be, we'll be home by Christmas. There's none of that. He worries that the war is unwinnable, but he feels like he has no choice. He does have a choice. Yeah, Sure. Historians are pretty clear about this, sure. but he feels like he doesn't have a choice. Home
1: by Christmas is
2: originally a Korean war phrase. Uh, Oh, no, I think even earlier than that. Oh, okay, in, in okay. Wars, oh, my, wow, um, okay. Uh, right. During World War II, a lot of people believed the war would be over by Christmas 1944,
0: at the yeah. time of yeah. the bridge too uh, far, but yeah.
2: in any case... So we have a lot of reasons why the United States Americanizes the war. There is, in the the American military, there's a fair amount of arrogance. There's a belief that, yeah, the French lost, but they're French.
1: Oh, right. Once
2: we send in, and and yeah, sure, Arvin can't win on his own because they're Arvin, but if you send in American combat troops, you know, best troops in the world, highly trained, highly skilled, we'll be able to um, stick it to the Viet Cong. Okay, But... Big context, American is a modern army designed to fight modern armies, not designed to fight guerrillas. Ah, uh, right, yeah. And so, this, the Ken Burns series goes at great length about the futility of the American military operations, the United States Army not suited for a guerrilla war, we try various things like search and destroy missions, mm-hmm. look for the enemy mm-hmm. and destroy them, mm-hmm. we bomb North Vietnam very, very heavily, but... There's a lot of futility. It's not, a, it's not a modern war. There's no front line. The guerrillas, the NLF guerrillas, they blend into the civilian population. Oh. They, they engage very successfully in hit and run tactics. That not a front line thing is a big deal. Yeah, because remember, the models in people's heads are World yeah. War II and Korea, yeah, where there's flag, there are flags on the map, and there's a, an objective, right? You take the enemy capital and you win. Yeah. It's not a war like that. It's a limited war fought within one of our allies. And so how do you measure success? Well, and Ken Burns is very good about this. They talk about the body count. Ugh. In other words How do you know How well you're doing See how many casualties Killed, wounded, missing You're inflicting on the enemy Yeah And if that number Becomes high enough Presumably You get to the point Where they will no longer Be able to keep up Right, right? right. I think they call it The crossover point uh, right? Where you're inflicting More losses Than they can replace Yeah And that's the idea and so as you might imagine, the whole body count thing in a guerrilla war becomes liable to abuse. And so if you hit a, a sure. village with artillery and then you march into it afterwards and see these bodies all over the place, well, there's a great incentive to count them all as Viet Cong, even though none of them may be and you don't find any weapons. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. All right. Right. It's, a, it's, the United you know, States military is a bureaucratic institution like any other in some yeah. ways, right? Yeah. You want to keep your superiors happy. You want to show results or you want to get promoted if you're a careerist mm-hmm. or if you're a career officer in particular. And so these body count figures start to bear less and less relationship to reality. And nice. even if they didn't, the crossover point is never matched. Yeah, that's right. At every stage, even when the communists suffer setbacks, which they do all the time, they are able to replace their losses. South Viet, uh, North Vietnam is a very young country. Yeah. Every year, a huge number of young men turn 18. Uh, and so then you train them and send them south. Yeah, sure, sure. And so even though the United States and the Arvin allies do... Successfully inflict massive casualties yeah. on Viet Cong and also increasingly North Vietnamese army. So, Pavin, the People's Army of Vietnam, there are increasingly right. North Vietnamese regulars being sent into the South. Wow. Uh, the famous Yadrang Valley battle, which is depicted in that movie, We Were Soldiers.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah the yeah, Mel yeah,
2: Gibson yeah. movie. That's not against Viet Cong. That's against North Vietnamese regulars.
1: Oh, okay. So, okay. And,
2: and, so in other words, quote, basically a modern army, more or less in uniforms with tanks and artillery and conventionally organized.
1: Ah, that's another misconception. Yeah, Yeah.
2: and and, so it's not all guerrilla warfare. And in those battles, the United States wins some, loses some. I mean, that's also a stalemate. Huh. And a lot of Americans win sort of grudging respect for their enemies of both types, the guerrillas and the regulars against them, who are obviously very well trained, very motivated, very well armed with AK-47s, for example, and like our soldiers. sure. And so, at uh, this time, so in the South Vietnam is being ravaged in these years, sixty-five to sixty-seven. The United States bombs very, very heavily within the South in support of its own ground operations, trying to get at North Vietnamese incursion. Well, well, in support of its own ground operations, see, of, okay. of whichever I, type, whether you fight oh, gotcha, against guerrillas gotcha, gotcha. or gotcha. North Vietnamese regulars, sort of, uh, sort of airborne artillery. Right, right, yeah, right. And the United States is compensating basically; it's it, it's doing what it does best, which is uses its formidable milit- uh, sort of firepower. And we also bomb heavily into Laos and Cambodia, the right. sort of Ho Chi Minh Trail. We bomb, well, not at first. Only, that's only later. But we certainly bomb. We bomb in North Vietnam heavily to try and interdict the flow of supplies and men into the South. Right. With only very limited success. The North, by the way, devotes a massive effort to repairing trails and roads. And they uh, get to the point yeah. where they are pre-positioning huge mounds of gravel and dirt and shovels.
1: Because they know they're going to be bombed soon. Because sometime. they know they're going
2: to be bombed. Whoa. And so what happens is once the, once the all clear is sounded and the bombers have left, immediately huge teams of people go out and start filling craters. Oh. Because you <laughs> one online, a, a, the typical bomb, crater left by a B-52 bomb yeah. is a massive crater. It's like 30 feet in diameter and like sure, 10 yeah. feet deep. And by the way, it would often fill with rainwater and then people would step in them and drown. Oh. Yeah. They, they they'd basically swallow you. Because, uh. you know, muddy rainwater, you don't know how deep it is. Oh, no. You that, yeah, You can't, that's see, you the, you can't, can't see through, through it. Through, you can't yeah. see that it's actually this really deep, large hole. Anyway, and, and throughout this period, the South Vietnamese government, it has some elections now and then, but it's still pretty feckless and still pretty corrupt and still really undemocratic and faces all sorts of internal dissent. It still has political prisoners.
1: If he, the, those sorts of things haven't improved as, as not a really. No.
2: no, and so and that's important because you're belatedly we come to recognize that you actually have to what we say win the hearts and minds. You have to yeah, in yeah, a guerrilla yeah. war. You have to get civilians to side with you, or at least not to side the North Viet, uh, the, the side with the Viet Cong. Right? right, right. And the Viet Cong basically is, is winning that battle of hearts and minds. They have not yeah. only fighters, but they have recruiters. They're very good at reaching out to people they for example, their use of violence, which is, they use violence, they assassinate village elders and school teachers and everything, but it's much more targeted violence, yeah. whereas the violence uh, inflicted by Americans and Arvin forces are much more indiscriminate. Oh, okay. You know, free fire zones, dropping of aerial bombs, use, heavy use of artillery and napalm, ends up killing a lot of civilians and, in effect, recruiting for the enemy. Wow, and that's wow. a really, really
1: important aspect of this war because the impact is so uh, horrible yeah. on the people yeah. because, that are
2: involved. Because typically, what happens is the Americans will take fire from a village and they'll call in an airstrike,
1: uh huh. Oh, calling I see. A right. Artillery yeah, sure, strike,
2: sure. sure. And Even usually, though- by the time you're calling in that airstrike, because hit and run tactics, yeah, the Viet Cong who are shooting at you, they're gone, right? Sure, but sure. The, the innocent civilians, or maybe not so innocent civilians, but still civilians, are still left behind, and they're the ones who will be punished by the airstrike or the artillery strike. And then the survivors will not have a very kind disposition no, toward the Americans not, or absolutely. the South Vietnamese, and, and this and that, only gets bolstered so, by so you know free, a lot of things propaganda. we're doing are understandable at sort of a military level, yeah. but they end up being counterproductive. Right. Okay. Uh, strengthen the enemy and allowing the enemy to sink deeper roots into the society in the South.
1: So what? What then is going on in the U.S.? We're talking sixty-five to sixty-seven, eight now, right? That's
2: right. These sort of peak years of American military involvement, sixty-five to sixty-seven. Are people starting? You know, are people starting to protest already? Yes, are they starting to notice. Yes. What are the impacts? You are actually you see protests almost immediately. Oh, okay. In nineteen sixty-five, you start to see protests. Oh, okay. Uh, at college campuses outside the Pentagon in fact in 1965 one guy actually sets to himself outside oh. of the Secretary of Defense's office. Oh, not typical. No, uh, there is a case of self-immolation But Wasn't really he died. Yes. Yeah, he was like a 32 year old Engineer who was so unhappy with oh. the war. He set fire himself right below Robert McNamara's office. Oh, yeah You don't the, the protests aren't as big as they are later on. Yeah, 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 but they're big and they're growing and, uh, and right. as the American troop level goes way up, as the draft calls go way up, as the number of dead coming back goes way up, certainly, yeah. and by the way, there's a real interesting parallel between Vietnam and Korea in this regard. In both cases, once the number of dead topped 10,000, yeah. you see a sudden serious increase in the war's unpopularity. Oh, it's like that's a tipping point. Yep. No, that's that's a sample of two. <laughs> yeah, sure, well, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it is an interesting parallel. That uh, when the war, and by the way, and one of Johnson's problems is he's trying to wage this war on the sly. He does yeah. not whip up the American people. you no. don't have a total mobilization. He wants to start, try and sort of get away with a war with minimal impingement on the American public. Yeah. And so people aren't fired up, and so a lot of people don't understand why we're there once the war starts to go badly. Oh, okay. And once okay. the number of dead start to affect more and more people, right? 10,000 dead. That's a lot of relatives, that's oh, a lot of, sure, that's a lot of sure. acquaintances, that's a lot of families that are affected. And, and it starts to go up and up and up as the fighting intensifies in 66 and 67. Uh, and so, already by 67, certainly American society is really starting to fray. Right. A lot of, not just social unrest, but just a lot of disagreements in the society and even within families. Yeah, as you know, the parents will say, "Of course, we have to fight this war," and the kids will say, "No, Dad, you're wrong." Yeah, and those conversations around dinner tables start to get ugly. let mm. keep in mind there are very few restrictions on journalists in the war. That's right, certainly yeah. compared to later. Yeah. yeah, so this becomes a television war. Yeah, it's yeah. brought into American households. Yeah. and Americans are, their their introduction to Vietnam is all this sort of mayhem happening on their television set. Yeah, it's very very unsettling. So America's re And for other reasons too Remember there's a lot Else going on too Oh absolutely, racial, absolutely. Conflict, racial conflict The racial conflict There's the great society And there's the counterculture And all these things Also start to sort of Coalesce at the same time In 1967 And um, In late 67 The Johnson administration Launches this Public relations campaign Because the support For the war is dipping They try and prop it up Right And they try and prop it up By, by spin Uh huh right? By telling a story that As one person famously said There's light at the end Of the tunnel Ah, uh, right, yeah. In other words, that, yes, we've t- deployed a ton of troops there. Yes, this is costing a lot of money. Yes, we've lost a lot of lives, but it's all worth it. Uh we're winning. We're starting to see progress. We're, we're, we're basically approaching the crossover point if we haven't already. Look at the body count. Look at all, look at all the enemy killed. Uh, we're right. doing fine. And yeah. that's the situation in late 1967, and it's a really bad setup for what happens next. And what happens next is 1968,
1: which is so, so tense in so many ways, and things tend to get a little bit worse. But let's take a station identification break for Buzzkill Nation, and we'll be back in a minute.
0: This is Mary Todd Lincoln. President Lincoln is indisposed at the moment, but he asked me to remind you that Professor Buzzkill is part of Entertainment One's podcast network and is available on iTunes, Apple
2: Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and all major podcast apps.
0: Please subscribe and leave him a review. Please also go to ProfessorBuzzkill.com to support him on Patreon, to subscribe to his email notifications, and to shop the Buzzkill bookshelf. Follow him on
1: Facebook, on Twitter at BuzzkillProf, and on Instagram at Professor Buzzkill.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: Okay, we're back. And you know, Buzzkillers, I, I've never understood how the country survived 1968 as a whole, and this is a, a, what happens in the war and its reaction and its impact in the U.S. is all part of that. Professor, it just seems to get worse and worse.
2: It does, and there's there's so many layers and so much going on. It is, um, it is amazing. It must have been, I mean, I was only, what, five at the time. It must have been yeah. amazing to have lived through, but... 68 is so important because, remember, there was, as I was saying, there's this lead up in 67 where the official message from President Johnson, from his top generals, et cetera, is that basically we're winning. Yeah. that we're, Or we're certainly seeing serious progress. Right. And he does, I'm pretty sure, if you look at the public opinion polling, Johnson does sort of stomp, stop, at least stops the bleeding. In okay. Words, the, in terms of like his approval rating and approval for the war. Yeah. Those numbers look a little bit better in late 67. Yeah. And then at the end of January 1968, all hell breaks loose with the famous Tet Offensive.
1: Right. Now, Buscoes will need to know what that is.
2: Tet Offensive. Tet is the, the lunar New Year in Vietnam. It's the right. equivalent, it's equivalent right. to Chinese New Year.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah.
2: Happens at the end of January 1968. This is the occasion on which the Viet Cong, directed from Hanoi, launches this all-out assault on South Vietnamese cities. Okay. Oh, I see. Now, they've been... They've been dominating in the rural areas because they're a guerrilla movement, right? They can hit and run. They don't hold and seize territory. They sure. stay away from the cities because that's where Arvin and U.S. forces would have such a huge advantage in terms of firepower. Right, okay. Right? City fighting is something the U.S. Army knows how to do. Yeah, sure. And, and it seems more strategically logical, so yes. to speak. Yes. I- if you're wondering, like, what's going on here, the idea is in Hanoi with Le Zuan and the, the Vietnamese leaders who, who order this thing, they think that Viet- South Vietnamese society is so corrupt... Well, no. The government is so corrupt and society is so alienated that if the Viet Cong moves into the cities, they'll trigger an overall general uprising.
1: Oh, okay. Again, you know, part the, of the civil war part that we don't
2: right. talk about. Yeah. And in other words, the time is ripe if we just push hard into the cities. Yeah. The South Vietnamese government will collapse. The Americans will have to withdraw. Wi- withdraw and we'll win the war and reunify the country.
1: Oh, uh, gotcha, gotcha.
2: Epic miscalculation. Okay. The Viet Cong does a cr- ta- attack with great fury. Very clever, coordinated assault. Dozens of cities all at the same time. They get into the U.S. Embassy compound in Saigon, famously. Oh, right, They right. seize control of some entire cities like Hue, which is like the mm-hmm. ancient, the ancient um, imperial capital in the middle of the country. Yeah. But the population does not rally to them. Ah. There is not a mass uprising. And over the next several weeks, American and Arvind forces systematically retake these cities and devastate the Viet Cong.
1: Let's remind Buzzkillers. I know but, but
2: this was before the break, but Arvin
1: is the is South, South Vietnamese, Vietnamese Army, yeah, the right, Army of the Republic right. of Vietnam. Yeah, yeah those
2: right. are our allies. RVN and is who all and who don't get a lot of respect, and it's a little unfair. Which, once again, also mentioned in the Ken Burns series, to its credit. In any case, the Viet Cong, the Vietcong in this Tet offensive, in military terms, basically does its best to commit suicide. Uh. It's not eliminated by this, but it is devastated and it is never the same it 's never the same effective fighting force it was they just lose too many fighters yeah and you know they you know, the guerrilla forces are not designed to seize and hold urban territory no no you're just fighting, going to, you're yeah. just going to be ground down to nothing yeah and so militarily it's a disaster for them yeah politically it was a huge success oh because of the contrast inside the United States between what the American public had been told in late 67 and what is now appearing on their TV screens. They had been told that the enemy was on the ropes. Oh, okay. If the enemy is on the ropes, why are they in a position to attack all of South Vietnam's major cities all at once? In this big offensive. In this big offensive. Uh, right, right, right. So the American TV, TV, in a sense, in this sense, certainly plays a big role. Then it does play a big role. Sure, uh, the news coverage, as in general, also yeah, plays a big saying, role. Yeah, I should, but, I should have said and, that. And yeah. not because it's distorting, because it's it's telling the truth. It's yeah, right. Look, yeah, there yeah. are there are there are sappers in the compound, as they say yeah. in Saigon, uh, and and they see what what a huge struggle is is required to retake a city like Hue at great cost to the Americans and right, Harvard. right, right. And so this is a decisive turning point in American support for the war, not necessarily in terms of the objective conditions inside Vietnam, okay. but in a democracy, if you don't have enough support for the war, <laughs> yeah, you that. can't fight that war. Yeah. It famously leads Lyndon Johnson to declare to everyone's shock, including his own advisor's shock, at the end of March 1968 on national television, live television, he declares that he will not run for re-election.
1: Yeah, that's, that's um, always Which, by amazing. the way, remember,
2: is his right... You can serve. Oh, sure. You can serve two terms or ten years,
1: right? Because he he would have right. Been he was an accidental
2: le- president, and then elected in nineteen sixty four, and then he could be so reelected. Could been, in 90, yeah. So he could have served. In, yeah. He could have served through January nineteen seventy three,
1: which is why that amendment
2: that it allows it allows twenty second amendment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because of Truman taking over for an FDR,
2: and then then this other exactly. Yeah, right. Okay, that's right. So. He So, in a way, the war has claimed its highest American casualty because uh, he, yeah. he, he, it's because of the war that he decides not sure, to run again. Sure, and, he, sure. and, and, and he's largely genuine in his desire, which is, I don't think I can bring a war, an end to this war. Someone else should do it, basically. So, okay. what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to take politics off the table. Yeah. Right? I'm going to so make it so I'm not running, so I can focus on peace. and And the speech actually originally was going to be he he was originally going to start I'd like to talk to you about uh, the war in Vietnam and at the last minute he personally changed the words. so the first line is tonight I'd like to talk to you about peace in Vietnam. Oh I see. Okay. So he declares a partial bombing halt. He puts a lot of emphasis now on restarting negotiations Uh uh, for an end of the war in um, Paris with North Vietnamese representatives. Yeah. But then the rest of 1968 unfolds which is complete mayhem as I'm sure a lot of buzzkillers sure, are familiar. Sure. We have two major assassinations that year, Yeah, uh, RFK and, and Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. We have this, and it's covered very well in the Ken Burns series, is this unbelievable Democratic National Convention in Chicago. Which where is you is chaotic. Oh, my God. To put it mildly, where you have this, yeah. what, what, was later, <laughs> yeah. what was later called the police riot, yeah, where sure. Mayor Daley's cops basically just declare open season on not only protesters, but bystanders and anyone else out on the street. Yeah. All cop captured on television. Yeah.
1: Which only hurts the Democratic Party, which it Daley's does. supposed to be a member it of. It
2: does. <laughs> now, you know, in 1968, after eight years of Democrats, typically you're, sure, you're, sure, you're going to sure. have an advantage to the Republicans, but it's it's even a chaotic election year. George yeah. Wallace runs as an independent. Yeah. We should do a show on him. Which you th- which <laughs> you
1: would yeah you would think would draw support away from Nixon, but... Uh, because it's the right, South, right, but no, maybe he does No, doesn't. in
2: fact, and it's fascinating because, remember, this is George Wallace who was sort of the, I'll, I'll use the phrase, the poster child for Jim Crow segregation in a yes, lot of that's his right, career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He runs as an independent, gets 13.5 million votes, half of them outside the South. Yeah, the, people forget that. Because he's running against the 1960s, mm-hmm. basically. To put it very simply, he's running against the 1960s. By that, I mean he's running against hippies, protesters, young people, people. Um, Let's Bla- remind black the bus kill- rioters, etc Yeah, let's remind the bus killers who his
1: VP candidate was. His
2: vice presidential candidate was none other than Curtis LeMay. Right, 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 right. General, LeMay, LeMay, Air Force General I can spin a scenario in which he becomes president of the United States, and it is frightening to contemplate. Ah, uh, okay. Well, let's not spin we'll a scenario. <laughs> we'll stay away from that. Anyway, the Democratic nominee is Hubert Humphrey, who had been johnson's vice president right, and right. very tightly associated with the war and that's basically what costs him the election sure sure after one of the most amazing comebacks in all of american history richard nixon becomes the republican nominee yep and if people know nothing out of nothing else about 1968 they should know this has been nailed down thoroughly by historians it's yeah. in the ken Burns series yeah he and his people essentially committed treason to help get elected
1: how does this happen this is not, this Late, might have
2: contemporary parallels uh yeah, good point. Late in the campaign, yeah, Johnson finds out because of f b i wiretaps and through other sources, yeah that the Nixon campaign people have been behind the scenes coordinating with the South Vietnamese to basically blow up the peace negotiations, Ugh. yeah. Basically, the not Nixon himself, Nixon campaign-related people. Be,
1: yeah, yeah, careful
2: to... Contact the TU, it's the Tew regime in Saigon, basically yeah. say, look, don't cooperate with these ongoing peace talks right now. Yeah. We'll get elected, and you'll get a better deal from us.
1: Uh, we should have a, just a 1968 show.
2: We should. We really ought to. In any case, this this <sighs> is not supposition. This is not conspiracy monitoring. No, 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 this, no. Is, this, is, this is well-documented. There have been entire books, certainly entire articles have been written about this now. Yeah. It's quite clear, and by the way, uh, Johnson, and this is in the Ken Burns series, we have the phone call, Johnson calls Nixon and asks him about it, and Nixon flat out denies it. Lies, understandably, lies to Johnson, like, I have no idea what you're talking about, and that would be awful if it happened. It was happening.
1: Now, did Johnson have the problem of, I can't reveal this because it would look like interference in the election?
2: No, he has the problem that he can't reveal how he found out. (laughs) Ah <laughs> like FBI wiretaps. Oh yeah. 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 No. Uh, and Johnson Johnson came close to revealing it publicly. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Which would have ended Nixon's yeah. career. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, certainly. Now we don't know how actually close to peace they were. How yeah. close to peace they were. Yeah. We do know that the Nixon people conspired to jam the peace talks in order to get elected. Whew. I would say that it's possible this is worse than Watergate. It depending, depending, upon how, depending on how you define worse or bad yeah. in terms of yeah. American politics. Yeah. It's quite clear that had this... But By the way, it's also possibly illegal. Yeah. You're not allowed to make your own foreign policy no, as no, an individual. No, no. Uh, That may be a violation of the Neutrality Act. I'd have to look into that.
1: Well, we don't know if the peace talks would have worked, but certainly there's a death toll after the peace You're talks not that might allowed, be laid at the... Yeah, I mean, right, right.
2: Under U.S. law, uh, dealings with foreign governments have to be official. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You can't, you right, can't yeah. go freelancing that. No, and now it might have been difficult to prove it or convict, but it's possible that's not just immoral but illegal. Yeah, and whether it's treason or not, I don't know. It doesn't look very good. No, it no. really doesn't, and is yet another mark against Nixon. And it's important too because. Big picture, a lot of our presidents over time look better and better and better with history. Yeah. Like Truman, for example. Sure. Nixon, worse and worse and worse. Yeah. When when stuff starts to come out, stuff starts to come out. And there are people who try to sort of clean him up and there are people who try to contextualize him and look at all the good stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm aware of that. The more we learn about him, the worse he becomes. Yeah. And this is part of it. But case, it becomes Nixon's war. It becomes Nixon's war. He becomes president in January nineteen sixty nine. He had in the sixty eight campaign. He had promised famously "peace with honor," which is a brilliant yeah. slogan because mm-hmm. it's like, "Well, I'll end the war, but we won't lose." And so then you have maximum appeal, right?
1: Right. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: He he really has no. He says he has a secret plan to win the war, which is also super childish in the campaign. Yeah. Yeah. But that's right. uh, he gets away with that too. He doesn't have a secret plan to win the war. He tries new things. Yeah. He tries to reach out to the Russians and the Chinese to put pressure on Hanoi. Doesn't work. Yeah. He tries his famous madman theory. Doesn't work. Oh, yeah. He tries to broaden the war. What what, what was the madman theory? The madman theory is play a good cop, bad cop game with the North Vietnamese. Oh, okay, okay. Make it look like his advisors are sane, but he's insane and he will do anything (laughs) to scare the North Vietnamese into making concessions.
1: That's really
2: weird. Yeah, it is really weird. And lots of scholarship on this recently, by the way, the whole madman theory. Anyway, he also tries he bombs more heavily in the north. He bombs yeah. close he bombs close to the Chinese border. He you know risks risks killing Chinese and Soviets the way LBJ wouldn't. Right. He secretly bombs Cambodia, quote-unquote secret. It's not yeah. a secret from the Cambodians or the North Vietnamese, it's no, a secret no. from the American people. He does that for years in trying yeah. to you know disrupt the Ho Chi Minh Trail, etc. Because after all the war goes on for another 5 years. That's yeah. well, 4 years for four, the Americans. Uh, well, yeah. 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 He Famously tries what's called Vietnamization, mm-hmm. which is he knows because of domestic political pressure and the unpopularity of the war that he has to start pulling out U.S. troops. Yeah. So then the question is, okay, how do you win or avoid losing without U.S. troops? Right. Right. You have to be up Arvin. Uh, so this is massive expansion of the South Vietnamese army. Yeah. It's made much, much bigger, trained much more heavily, given amazing amounts of equipment right. from the Americans, in an effort to make it so it can stand on its own. Even though everyone involved who's honest knows that it's not going to work, right? Because you, yeah, sure, you, you sure. barely held onto a stalemate with half a million U.S. troops. How are you going to do that without half a million U.S. troops? Huh. Right. It's, just, yeah. it's just illogical. But and it's too fat. You can't do it. can do it fast enough, right? But Nixon's also trying to save face. Sure. Yeah. Losing war is always hard. He doesn't want to be the lose the war. He tries yeah. to make it look like we're not losing. But he has to continually pull out U.S. troops, and so this is a long and protracted process. And Buzzkiller should know that fully half of American dead in Vietnam happened on Nixon's watch. Oh, well, yeah. hap- happen after the point when we have peaked our our, our, our uh, involvement, and are winding it down. Oh my goodness! So half, half, oh. yeah, it's a big number. So a lot of Americans die in a war that uh, American policymakers, in there, secretly know is they're losing. Yeah. And that will be lost. Now, of course, they all want to avoid what's called cutting and running, and order to precipitous sure, sure. withdrawal. Yeah. I'm not quite sure why that would have been so disastrous compared to what they actually did.
1: Yeah. Um, and I remember, and I know I remember this, Buzz because I certainly remember the 1971 World Series, and I, I'm same age as Professor Nash. I remember at the end of the nightly news, they would say, they would give us the death toll, and you know that was something when you're eight, nine, ten years old. That's something that's amazing because th- right. that's the only news you've gotten, the only news that sticks in your consciousness. At the end of the night, news always ends up with the death toll. Right. And that's pretty pretty stark you know, information
2: to get every night. Yeah. And so the United States does manage to stave off a big, what's called the Easter Offensive in 1972, yeah. where the North Vietnamese try to take over the South Vietnam, and they fail barely. Right. But... The negotiations have been going on for years, and long story short, by January 1973, the Paris Accords are signed. All the parties, Uh South Vietnamese, North Vietnamese, NLF, and the Americans sign an agreement which ends U.S. involvement. Oh, okay. That's the end of the American War in Vietnam. The last U.S. troops are, are pulled out. We still, I'm pretty sure, have advisors. We certainly have a civilian presence. We certainly have a huge CIA station. We have, a, you know, the State yeah. Department is there. U.S. aid workers are there. But no more U.S. combat troops. They're pulled out. Right. We famously get our, get our POWs back. Yeah. Hundreds yeah. of them have been held by the North. Uh, the North Vietnamese uh, are allowed to keep their military units that are on South Vietnamese soil in place. Sure. Yeah. Which yeah. is very, very odd. Yeah, Because a lot of people look at this and say, well, we'll how does that, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that work long term? Aren't they in well positioned to resume an offensive and clobber South Vietnam thereafter? Exactly. Yeah. And that's, well, that's because that's it. true. Yeah. Uh, Nick, Henry Kissinger, who is Nixon's uh, national security advisor and then later Secretary of State famously said, what we need is a decent interval. Uh, Which is to say, a gap in time between when we pull out our troops and when South, South Vietnam finally collapses. Is to that an order, to, Communists?
1: Is that enough time for people to for, quote, for Americans to maybe quote, forget. to forget? Yeah,
2: or misdirection, or so. With the, so this is not yeah. a one-to-one link. Oh, like, gotcha. Oh, right. it collapsed because we pulled out. We, we can sort of sort of maintain this lie. So South Vietnam yeah. doesn't collapse finally until the end of April 1975 when famously the last U.S. personnel and some of their Vietnamese allies are helicoptered off the roofs. I'm sure yes. people have seen pictures like this. very yes. famous event. They're fighting that actually resumed in 1974. Yeah. But what do you know? South Vietnam was not capable militarily of protecting itself without the presence of Americans. Oh, so yeah. South, Vietnam, South Vietnam falls and um, the long-term dream of Vietnamese nationalists reunification happens end of April 1975. So, uh, Vietnam is now unified under communist rule. Huh. Okay, and, well... The- and that's the end of the war, but obviously there's much more to the story.
1: Well, it's, not, it's certainly as you say, it's the end of the war, but it's not the end of the story, and we're going to take up more of the story in part two of our Vietnam show, which Professor takes up, which, which we're going to discuss.
2: We're going to discuss uh, myths, misconceptions, other misunderstandings about the war, yeah. and sort of fill in some of the holes.
1: And so please please well, turn in uh, tune in every week buzzkillers but definitely tune in for that one. Talk to you then.